Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Have you ever wondered what God is like, or what Jesus was all about, or how you get saved, and what getting saved means anyway? Well, if you've ever felt embarrassed to ask, please don't. I really want to help you understand our big, amazing God. And a great place to start is a little book that I wrote called The Basics. God, You, Jesus, and Faith. And here's more good news. If you're always on the go and don't have time to read, you can now listen to The Basics as a podcast series. Just search for The Basics with Pastor Mike Novotny wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. How long does it take for your entire life to be ruined? Believe it or not, it can happen in as few as 11 hours. And back in 2013, a corporate communications director by the name of Justine Sacco proved it. At that time, Justine was virtually unknown. She had all of 147 followers on Twitter. But Justine was traveling to Cape Town, South Africa to visit some relatives for the holiday. Before she hopped on the plane, she sent out a tweet that she thought was funny, but was actually quite offensive. She got on the plane, which meant she turned off the phone. 11 hours later, the plane landed. She turned her phone back on, only to be flooded with a barrage of text messages from her family and friends, letting her know that she was now the number one global trending topic on Twitter. She ended up losing her job, She lost her reputation just one tweet, and 11 hours later, basically her entire life was ruined. That was back in 2013. In 2021, 11 hours might seem like an eternity. It seems we are getting faster and faster at making sure that anyone who says or does or posts the wrong thing gets punished. The tools at our disposal for punishing the evil that we perceive in the world have never been more effective or more efficient. So what happens if the tools that we have at our disposal for punishing the evil we perceive are not just virtual pitchforks in the hand of a virtual mob? What if at our disposal instead we have the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing God? How fast would you expect justice to travel then? That's the question that's at the heart of a a very short but very important book of the Bible known as Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet of the Lord who lived several centuries before Jesus. And when Habakkuk looked around at the society around him, when he looked at people, God's people no less, all he saw was evil. Everywhere he looked, there was violence and strife. God's law was ignored and justice was perverted. And so Habakkuk asked the question that you would expect anyone in his shoes to ask. He said, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? In a world where human justice can be so swift, waiting for divine justice can be tough. So what was God's answer to Habakkuk's question? Well, we'll get there. But for now, don't miss what a blessing it is that the Bible includes a book like this. For a human being to ask God, how long is it going to be until you do something? It sort of feels a little bit like children sitting in the backseat of the car asking their parents, how long till we get there? How many more minutes until we arrive? And if you've ever been in that driver's seat, you know how easy it is to get annoyed and how much you sometimes wish that those children would just be quiet. 
But when God's people cry out to him, how long? God doesn't get annoyed. God doesn't tell us to be quiet. Instead, he listens and he answers. In fact, more than that, he makes sure that it all gets written down so that we can benefit from it too. In a world where just about everything moves at lightning speed, including justice, waiting on God can be tough. But thankfully, we have a book like this that not only gives voice to our concerns, but also gives voice to God's answers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for patiently listening when we wonder how and when you will bring about justice. Even as we bring our concerns to you in prayer, keep us confident in your plans and your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We live in a world where just about everything moves at lightning speed, and that includes justice. One thing that leaves very little time for is nuance. When it comes to justice, that means that we are, are very quick to divide everyone into just two groups, good and evil. You're either an ally for the cause or you're an enemy. You either side with the oppressors or you side with the oppressed. You're either on the right side of history or you're on the wrong side. Everything is black and white with very little time for any shades of gray. Because we are so quick to divide the world into good and evil, we're also very quick to assume that God is going to do the same thing. That when it comes time for him to deliver justice, he's naturally going to, to round up all of his allies to have them right there by his side. And together with them, he's going to punish all of his enemies. Of course, if we understand what the Bible says, we know that we cannot just divide the world into those two groups of good and evil. Only God belongs in the group that deserves to be called good, and everyone else, including us, deserves to be in the group that is rightly called evil. That's probably what makes it often seem as though God isn't doing a whole lot to punish evil. It's not because he isn't acting. It's because when it comes time for God to punish evil, the only thing that he has at his disposal in our world, the only thing that he can use as his instrument is even more evil. Now, if that sounds strange, that's kind of the point. In fact, that was God's answer to this prophet named Habakkuk. This week, we're, we're looking at this small but important book in the Bible called Habakkuk. And it's a book that starts out with Habakkuk asking God this question, how long until you do something about the evil that exists in our world. And here was God's answer. He said, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. So it's not that God was doing nothing. It's that God was doing something so amazing, so incredible that, that it was hard to believe even if people knew what God was up to. God was going to use evil as his instrument to punish evil. He was going to punish the evil among his people by sending the nation of Babylon. He was going to punish evil with even more evil. In fact, this strange, unbelievable, amazing way of God acting isn't just something that he did this one time. This is how God operates. This is just what God does. In fact, this very verse is quoted in the New Testament, in reference to the ultimate example of God doing this same thing. 
In Jesus' death on the cross, God used all kinds of evil. He used the unbelief, the hatred, the rejection, the jealousy, and the violence of his own people to bring about Jesus' death on the cross and thus the defeat of the ultimate source of evil in our world. So if it ever seems as though God isn't doing anything, if it ever seems as though he's, he's being too slow in administering justice, it's not because God isn't doing anything. It's because God is doing something so amazing, so incredible, so unbelievable that it's difficult for us to perceive, much less believe, even if we know what is going on. God is using evil as his instrument to punish evil. He's forcing evil into his service for our good. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, when we see evil running wild in our world, turn our anger into awe and our perplexity into praise. Hold Jesus' cross before our eyes and lead us to be amazed at what you are able to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yesterday we talked about how it's really impossible to divide the world into two groups of people. And that's true so long as the groups we are talking about are good and evil. All of us really do evil and none of us lives up to God's perfect standards of good. But of course there are other ways to divide people into two groups. In fact, sometimes we talk about people having either a type A or a type B personality. People who are type A are aggressive. They, they take action and they take action now. Type B personality people are a little bit more relaxed. They're more patient. They wait before acting if they act at all. So let me ask, when it comes to delivering justice in our world and punishing evil, which of those two, two personality types do you think you should be? Type A or type B? The answer seems obvious, right? In fact, sometimes we're told that silence and inaction are not options when it comes to the evil that we see around us. We're told that we're actually complicit in evil if we don't do something, anything that we can to stop it. At least when it comes to delivering justice, the choice between type A and type B seems to be pretty obvious. Except that yesterday, we saw that when it comes to punishing evil, God is sort of what we might describe as a type B personality. God often just allows evil to seemingly run wild as a way of punishing evil. That's the amazing and, and incredible and perplexing thing that God told the prophet Habakkuk that he was going to do. He was going to use evil as his instrument to punish evil. Well, then God went on to say that now it was the prophet Habakkuk's turn to do exactly the same thing. In fact, God tells Habakkuk that there are two types of people in the world. There are, first of all, those who trust in their own power, who think that they can get done everything that needs to get done, including punishing evil as it deserves. And then there are those people who live not by trusting in their own power, but instead by trusting in God's. Here's what God says to Habakkuk. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faith. So two types of people. Type A trusts in his own power and his own strength. Type B, God says, the righteous type, lives by faith, lives by trusting in God. Now, let's be clear. 
there are times when we see evil around us when God would very much want us to do something. God, in fact, tells us to, to stand up for and to speak up for those who cannot stand up or speak for themselves. And, and maybe God has, maybe God will give you the opportunity to either protect or rescue someone else from evil. But is it also fair to say that the sum total of all the evil that exists in our world is far bigger than any of us can do anything about? Is it fair to say that that, that evil is even bigger than all of us can do anything about? That's not what you hear, of course. Very often the impression is given that if we all just band together, if we work hard enough, if we're determined enough, if we all just do all the right things and elect all the right people, then at some point we'll finally be able to eradicate this world of all of the evil that has always existed in it. We talk about being puffed up, right? I mean, yes, there is a time when God would very much want us to act, but there's also a time when God wants us to know the limits of our own power and instead put all of our trust in his. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Give us the wisdom and the strength of heart to trust your power rather than our own. Humble us by your Holy Spirit so that we live our lives by faith. Amen. We live in a world where every attempt is made to stop evil dead in its tracks as swiftly and as decisively as possible. And one reason that's given for why we should do that is so that we keep that evil thing from becoming normalized. The idea is that the first time somebody does something evil, it might be easy for everyone to recognize it as sort of the outrageous and unacceptable thing that it is. But if that person's allowed to do it over and over again without getting punished, then eventually it just becomes the new normal. Seems to make sense. The problem is that's not exactly how evil works. This week we're talking about this small but important book in the Bible known as Habakkuk. It's a book where God helps Habakkuk and us understand how he deals with evil in our world. And one of the ways that God does that is that he helps us understand how evil works. And he does that by comparing evil to wine. Of course, in and of itself, wine is not evil, drinking wine is not evil, but of course, wine can very easily be abused. And the thing about wine is that the more you drink, the more you want to drink. The more you abuse wine, the less you are satisfied by the wine. The other thing about wine is that the consequences for abusing wine are found in the very same bottle as the wine itself. If you abuse wine by drinking way too much of it, you don't exactly need some external force to administer some punishment for what you've done. Of course, that very well may happen. But even if it doesn't, the consequences for abusing wine are administered by the wine itself. And it's really for both of those reasons that God says to Habakkuk that wine betrays the one who abuses it. Now, God wants us to know that evil works exactly the same way. Evil behavior never really normalizes because evil is never satisfied. The more evil runs wild, the more evil wants to run even wilder. In fact, here's what God says about the evildoer. He says, he is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. 
Evil is also like wine in that evil delivers its own consequences. Right after that verse, God goes on to pronounce a series of woes or a series of curses against evil. And in every curse, the punishment that God describes for evil is delivered by evil itself. So, for example, if someone gets ahead by taking advantage of other people along the way, all that person is doing is making a long list of enemies who are just waiting for their chance at payback. If evil allows someone to build or to buy things on a massive scale, those possessions end up being nothing more than a monument to just how evil that person really was. If an evil person exposes or takes advantage of someone who's vulnerable in a very personal and very private way, then the shame that that evil person brings on themselves is just all the greater once they are inevitably caught. It seems to make sense for us to want to stop evil dead in its tracks, for us to do everything that we can to keep evil from taking one more step forward. But it's also very important for us to understand how evil works. Trying to stop evil dead in its tracks, in a lot of ways, is, trying to, is like trying to stop an opponent in the game of soccer who is determined to score in their own goal. It's like trying to stop an opponent in the game of basketball who is just determined to shoot the ball into their own basket. Very often, evil is its own worst enemy. And so sometimes the best way to stop evil is to actually get out of its way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, when we are concerned and troubled by the evil we see in our world, remind us that evil is its own worst enemy. Keep us from falling into evil's vicious cycle and use us to extend your saving arm to those who are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All this week we've been talking about this small but important book in the Bible known as Habakkuk. It's a wonderful book for helping us understand how God plans to deal with evil in our world and how that impacts our lives of faith. You know, as I sit here and think back to all the things that I've said this week, it occurs to me how so much of what God asks us to believe and what God asks us to do in this book just sounds downright crazy. In fact, it's the exact opposite of the strategy for dealing with evil that so often the world around us employs. The world tells us that we need to do something, anything that we can to deal with evil. God tells us to, to trust in his power, not our own. The world tells us that evil needs to be dealt with swiftly and decisively. So often, God just kind of sits back and waits. The world tells us that we should do everything we can to stop evil dead in its tracks. God tells us that sometimes the best way to deal with evil is to get out of its way. Like I said, a lot of it sounds crazy, and that's not me saying that. That's actually God saying that. Earlier in the week, I shared with you that verse where God says, what I'm about to do is so amazing, so incredible, that you're not even going to believe it, even if someone tells you. Okay, so if the way that God is going to deal with evil is so unbelievable, how are we supposed to believe it? That actually brings me to my favorite book in the entire, my favorite verse in the entire book of Habakkuk. After God has said everything that he wants to tell Habakkuk, Habakkuk closes out the book with a prayer. And here's what he says. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. 
So notice how Habakkuk doesn't say, okay, God, what you're saying sounds crazy, but I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to trust you to do what you say you're going to do. No, instead Habakkuk says, I'm going to trust that you're going to do again what you've already done. As Habakkuk thought about everything that God told him, he realized that God had already been doing these things for centuries. Habakkuk knew all of the stories about how God had done these very things with his people. And so Habakkuk didn't need God to do something brand new. Habakkuk simply needed God to repeat what he had already done. And you know what? God did. God kept dealing with evil by seemingly getting out of its way. God kept using evil as a punishment for evil. And again, all of this led to the ultimate example of God doing these very things with Jesus' death on the cross as payment for the sins of the whole world. And because God kept doing these things, you and I can pray with the exact same confidence that Habakkuk did. You know, it's been said about prayer that any time we ask God to do something that he's already proven that he will do or promised that he will do, it's sort of like when a child sees his father do something incredible, some feat or some stunt that the child never would have believed was possible. But as soon as they see their father do it, the child's natural response is to say, Daddy, do it again. With Habakkuk, we have seen God do the very things that he says he is going to do in this book. And so, yes, it, it sounds crazy. And yes, it seems to be the exact opposite strategy that the world so often employs. And yet we can pray with the exact same confidence that Habakkuk had. In fact, let's close the week by doing just that. Lord, we have heard of your fame. And Lord, we stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day. Father, what you have done in the past, do it again here among us. Amen.